Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 88 of Locked On Canadians, your daily Habs fix, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Laura Saba, and you might know me as The Active Stick. And I'm not joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Scott Matla. Scott is off tonight, and instead, we have a wonderful guest co-host. His name is Julian McKenzie, and you will know him from all kinds of Montreal and Habs media. He might be the hardest working Habs media right now. I'm saying might so I don't get sued. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want nobody tweeting at me being like, hey, uh, you said no. he works harder than me, but he does. Oh, no. He's a little no bit way. everywhere. Julian, hi, how are you? Hey, um, that's, that's very kind of you to say. I don't know if that's all the way accurate, but uh, <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I was pretty excited when you asked me to, to co-host the show with you today. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty excited. I'm ready to talk about the Montreal Canadiens, watch the game. A lot of stuff happened. I'm pretty excited. I'm, I'm happy to be on the show with you, Laura. <laughs> awesome. Before we get into the show, I just want to tell everybody the story of how I met Julian in person for the first time. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, so Julian, it was actually at a wedding of a mutual yes. friend, and it was a lovely, wonderful wedding. And Julian came in from work, right? You you were you came in after work because I remember that when you walked into the hall, you almost got as much applause as the bride from the table you were walking towards. And oh my so, god, was I working that day? I believe. Oh my god! So. I yeah, think, I think I was. Were you? Like, oh, you might have I been on TV. I'm trying to remember what I was doing. I know I came in late. It may yeah. have been work, but like I don't remember what I was doing that day. I remember, I, I remember, yeah. I remember getting there late for sure because I think my girlfriend and I were supposed to go, but my girlfriend got sick, and I checked in on her, and then I realized like, oh man, she can't come, and then I came through. So yeah, I don't know if it was. <laughs> It might have, I don't know, but it was really funny because like we were like, I was at the adjacent table and then you walked in and then like this cheer went up and, and everybody was obviously really happy to see you. And then I went to introduce myself and you said, you're Laura. I unfollowed you on Twitter. Yes, I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> Before oh, we started no. this podcast, oh, no. when Scott and I were talking about, you know, the kind of guests that we wanted to have. We always kind of had you in mind for somebody, you know, to record with as a, as a co-host based on all the stuff, you know, we've worked together on Eyes on the Prize before. We've mm -hmm. got a rapport already and, you know, you've got so much media experience that we figured, you know, it's a no brainer. And so I was really disappointed that Scott asked you when I wasn't here because I wanted to tell the story. And then I told him, I was like, when I come back, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to book Julian and I'm going to tell the story on the podcast. Now I just I just followed you back on Twitter, Laura. <laughs> I don't even remember why the... I did. I don't remember even why I, I unfollowed you on Twitter. I think it was just I was just trying to clean up the amount of people I was following, and I don't know if you were like tweeting all that much or something. I think it might have been when I was on kind of like a hockey hiatus slash burnout. Yeah. In between yeah. gigs, yeah. Yeah. Because I was That's not probably... talking about hockey. Yeah, so I was just like, all right, like, you know, the active stick isn't so active. <laughs> In I'm any sorry. case, now we are following each other again as of this Good. moment. And, you know, like Good. this podcast is bringing people together. But I I was really excited to have, have you as a, as a co-host as well. Before we actually do get into it, we will talk about the game, I promise. Tell people where they can find you and your work real quick. 
So trying to do a little bit of everything here. Uh, for Habs games, you can check me out on the Montreal Canadian Montreal Gazette uh, live blog. It's not the Montreal Canadiens live blog. That'd be a little problematic. Uh, live blog through Hockey Inside Out. Uh, I'm there every Canadiens game. Sometimes I'm on their weekly YouTube show as well. I can say this now because uh, I mentioned on the live blog for the game against the Devils. Um, in the past with Hockey Inside Out, uh, the previous uh, live blogger Mike Boone had the live blog and the About Last Night column. Uh, I can now say that as of Saturday, About Last Night will be back. So I will have a uh, game column that will come after every game as well on the live blog. So I've got those two things. And, uh, you know, if you want to know what the weather is, CTV Montreal, when they need me, Canadian Press, uh, TSN 690 when they need me. And, of course, uh, Habs Eyes on the Prize and uh, the Scrum Podcast, uh, the sports media podcast that I have, will be back very soon. We just joined a new podcast network, and we're going to be back sooner than you think. So congratulations on, A, Thank the you. podcast being back, and, B, having like taking over the uh, about last night. That's really exciting. And, see, so that's why I said you might be the hardest working man in in Habs media right now. <laughs> I, still think it's, I still think it's Dan Robertson. I think the it could dude, be. <laughs> uh, I think the fact that he does like radio play by play and when he's get, when he gets called on to do TV play by play and travels with the team all the time, like that's a guy who works his butt off game in, game out and knows his stuff and he's a really nice guy as well. I think it's him. Uh, it's not that Mark Dumont guy. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he listens to this episode. No, we're uh, both big fans. Um, of, yeah, of Mark course. Dumont. Yeah. He was actually on, uh, he was actually on the pod a few weeks ago. Uh, yeah, but, I heard. I heard his episode. Yeah, he was really good, and uh, I, I, I want to invite him on, but we need to deal with the matter at hand first, and that is the Canadians played a very, I guess, roller coaster type game. How would you describe it? I think if I invested myself more emotionally, as guess more as a fan. See, when you start reporting and you start going to practices and you start writing stories, you kind of find yourself. Whatever fandom you may have for the game, you kind of start to peel that back a little bit because you want to be objective and you want to be professional and all that. So I feel like I've kind of stamped that out over the last few years. But I feel like if I was a fan, if I was someone who really like poured themselves in, I'd just be thinking like, oof, like, geez, what did I, what did I just sit through, right? Because the Canadians for the first half of this game, actually the way they started, focusing on that first, it was one of those starts where the Canadians are going to get all these shots on net. And, of course, it's the opponent who scores first. There's been so many games you can point to this season alone where that has happened. And then after that, uh, it just felt as if the Canadians were just playing uninspired hockey. But when they got that first goal, uh, the UL Armia goal, and that's a guy who, uh, despite the way the score was looking, despite how some of the players were looking, UL Armia was a consistent force. He was creating turnovers and turning them into scoring chances. And lo and behold, he takes advantage of a, of a mistake by the New Jersey Devils and ends up going on a bit of a break. And he scores the, the goal that puts the Canadians essentially back in the game before Nate Thompson drives to the net and scores. It, it, it's a matter of seeing those, those players who are on the bottom six. Nick Cousins also contributing as well. There are guys who got the job done, even if some of the higher tier guys weren't necessarily doing that. And and it just goes to show that 
this team doesn't quit, even if they will likely miss the playoffs. There have been other so many instances throughout the year where they haven't really quit, and maybe it's just it's, and mostly it's just been talent that's kind of overwhelmed them. But this is just Exhibit A for when people say, "Hey, well, you know what? The Montreal Canadiens showed at times they did not quit, and to do it against a team that has been giving them problems for most of the year." It ends up turning into, you know, one of the more satisfying victories, especially considering Ilya Kovalchuk off the shootout win. And we're going to get into the nitty gritty of the game and see what we learn. And later on in the show, we are going to talk about the future of this team. As Julian mentioned, there is no quit in them. So where do they go from here? And that's coming up in just one moment. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Canadians is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Habs fans, just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Canadians fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. So, as promised, we are getting into the nitty-gritty of the game. I Basically, we, we ended the last segment talking about the Kovalchuk goal. And I think, I feel like we should spend a little bit more time, as Julian said, we should spend some time talking about that goal because it was beautiful. Ilya Kovalchuk, throughout that game, got booed by the New Jersey faithful. Of course, he spent all those years in New Jersey. And... You could tell even if he didn't necessarily score in regulation or in overtime, he could tell in the way that he was trying to play, he really wanted to shut them up. So for the opportunity for him to come in the shootout and score, giving the Canadians the win, well, almost giving the Canadians the win, of course, Lincoln had to make the last save before that got to that point. But Kovalchuk getting the goal and then taking off the glove and shushing the New Jersey crowd. I mean, if you're a New Jersey Devils fan, that has got to sting. A guy who spent all of those years and eventually bolts back to, not bolts back, but bolts over to the KHL uh, after signing that massive contract he had. And you know how fans get with, with former players and all that. But for Kovalchuk to kind of do his thing and, and score that shootout goal and, and do the little shushing thing, I, I said that on the live blog for the Gazette. Like, that's that's too much sauce, man. How many players do you know on this Canadiens team would do such a thing like that? You know, they just score. They just do the whole little, you know, hey, calmly go back to my bench and kind of give them the tap. But Ilya Kovalchuk, even though he is up there and, and almost 40 years old, uh, he's given the team offensively at least a new form of, of swag. Uh, in their attack. He's still somebody who is able to finish when needed. He's still able to get himself some points, which is still quite impressive for a guy at his age. And he's been able to bring in some swag for this team. And I'm not saying he is 
the savior and is going to bring them to the playoffs. But I definitely think going forward with this team, when they're considering what to do with their players, that's someone they should, that's someone they're going to really spend a lot of time focusing on because I think he's done a lot of great things for this team, just easing himself into the locker room and transitioning really well and producing offensively. This is a guy that the team has been needing for a long time and he's been able to fill a void. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that we constantly talk about, but I don't think it's hard to measure, but I really appreciate not just the talent that he has brought because the Canadians sorely need elite talent and he's still got it. Yes. He's fallen back a step or two. He is getting older. He's way past his prime, all of that. But we, you know, he's still, his raw talent is just so amazing and impressive and he can't share that with the team. He can't take a piece of it, break it off and like give it to like Nick cousins or something. That's not going to happen. But what what he has been able to do since he's been on the team is sort of his his confidence has been infectious and his exuberance has been, I think it's brought a lot of uh, players back to being excited about playing. And honestly, like we forget, like the Canadians have had two eight game losing streaks this season. They signed him right in the middle of the second one. And it was looking like with all the injuries that they've had, with all their inability to win games and usually losing like one goal games, it's been a very frustrating season. And so to have somebody like that who, who comes in, I think it's not just good for players, but it's also good for the coaching staff. It sort of gives the coaching staff a vote, vote of confidence. Like it didn't work out for him in LA because he didn't fit into the system and the system didn't fit with him, but he comes to Montreal and he fits right into a system it's bringing out the best in him. I think it kind of like it helps a little bit in terms of the coaching staff as well. I think I think it's it, it it must be really frustrating to not have tools, to have a system and not have tools in order to implement them and win games. And so for me, like honestly, like every day we're like Ilya Kovalchuk is a Montreal Canadian, and it's not a joke. Yeah, it, it's still like kind of surreal to see that he's he's doing his thing in a Montreal Canadiens uniform, uh, and I think that. You know, a lot of people are looking at the production that he's been able to put up and whether or not the Canadians should trade him. And I'm on record saying this. I, I really feel the Canadians should consider just keeping him and maybe you extend him for another year. I mean, I, I get it with at his age, he's not going to necessarily produce at the, at the right, at the same level as, as he has in years past. But I, I think he really brings a lot of positives for this team. And if the team actually builds itself correctly in the off season, and that's not a guarantee, but if they, they add another weapon, you don't necessarily have to rely on Ilya Kovalchuk to be your number one primary scoring option. That's somebody who could at least come in as a, you know, a second line winger or a third line winger if you need to, a secondary scoring option. But I mean, a guy like him who knows how to finish, you know, you could always use players like that. And it's showing, and again, with how he's been able to, Keep himself in the, bring himself in the locker room and, 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 and basically just kind of make himself feel like he's one of those guys. Like that second to none for this organization. And I really think the Canadians should consider keeping him. And like what? You trade him for like a second round pick. I mean, that'd be really good, but it's not like the Canadians don't have picks, right? My whole thing with, with him and, and guys like Tatar and, and Petrie and all that. I, I understand even Max Domi now, his name's getting mentioned in this as well. I understand uh, that the Canadians, you know, they're going to be sellers and they're not going to make the playoffs and it, it makes sense to sell off assets. But 
if you find yourself in a position where you're doing that and you can't get rid of guys like Carey Price and Shea Weber, you're going to be in a similar situation as for next year where you have guys who are still in that win now, but you're, you're basically just going to be stuck in this kind of middle area. So you might as well, if you're, if you're not going to be able to get rid of Carey Price and Shea Weber, you might as well keep a guy like Ellie Kofelchuk around and, and build to make the playoffs at least. I think a lot of it depends on what the Canadians plan to do in the offseason and if they can sell him on it because it didn't work out in L.A. He obviously signed this league minimum contract because he wants to prove himself. He wants a contract next year. And if you're Ilya Kovalchuk, obviously you're going to try to go wherever you would see some success. So it's kind of up to the Canadians to sell him on that idea because it's true that there's a danger if they don't trade him now they risk letting him go in the off season for nothing, but they kind of like, it was an, it was a no brainer contract. It's league minimum. They got him for nothing basically. So I don't think that they should look at it that way. And yesterday on the, on the podcast, we kind of mentioned the possibility that they would have an agreement with him that even if they do trade him to a contender this year, that he's going to come back. And again, there's never a guarantee like that. You know, you can't really make handshake deals in the NHL. They, they won't be binding. Right. But, Mm-hmm. I think he's liked what he's seen here. He seems, you know, he seems to have found this freedom, especially under this coaching staff. So I think it really depends on if the Canadians can sell him on, you know, this is what we're doing. Maybe he waits a couple of days, sees who they sign in free agency. And, and if the Canadians can prove to him, like you said, you know, they have, they, they need to have like another scoring option. They need to upgrade a little bit on the talent so that he's not the only guy they're relying on. And we're assuming again, Jonathan Duran is having, is going to be having a full and healthy year. Assuming you do that, like you, if you want to find success, you need a top line and then you need a secondary scoring line that is going to be able to score when the other team's top defensive pairing is busy with your first line, you know, that kind of thing. The Canadians haven't had that kind of depth this year. They did before the injuries and they were able to win games at that time, but it wasn't, I don't think it would have been enough to contend for a Stanley Cup, for example. You know, Ilya Kovalchuk might be willing to come back if the Canadians can sell them on a plan for the following year. Exactly. Uh, and that's going to come down on, on Mark Bershevin. That's going to come down on, on Jeff Molson and to a certain extent, even Cole Julian as well. But I think the fact that he has made himself a presence in the locker room. And we all know about the story of him taking the team out for dinner after a whole game. And then they won the next night. Like that's a, an encouraging sign to me that Ilya Kovalchuk has tried to endear himself to the Montreal Canadiens. And I get the sense that he likes playing in the market as well. So I don't know. I, I think if the Canadians and him meet up at some point, I'm inclined to believe that the meeting could go fairly well, but I'm not in those meetings. And we still got lots to talk about. We haven't even gone through the defensive coverage and the penalty kill in this game, but we will do oh so. Boy. And then, <laughs> and then we'll talk a little bit more about the future in our final segment, which is coming right up next. To continue on from what we were just talking about in our previous segment, the Canadians have a lot to think about in the off season. But before we get to what they should what they should do on the trade deadline and on free agency day, I want to talk a little bit more about this game. And there were a couple elements to the game. One, the, the Canadians did score four unanswered goals, but before they did that, they did allow three goals. And overall on the night they allowed two power play goals in I guess five chances that the Devils had. They had they had five uh 
power plays. And honestly, the Canadians' penalty kill started out as I think it was the second last in the league. And it, it got better, but it's still like going into the, into tonight's game. It was the 21st in the league. It's right around the league average, which is 79.33, I think. It's not good. And the Devils' power play is ranked 27th. So I think that's that's like, you know, I think that's a huge glaring sign. We've talked all year about the defensive coverage. So, you know, let, let, let's break down what happened in tonight's game, and then we'll move on to how do they get out of this for next year. Hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I think it all just stems from being a bit more mobile and, and, and fast and quick to the draw, I feel. I, I look at some of those goals. The one goal that really kind of sticks out in my mind is, uh, I believe it was the Miles Wood one, where he's he's skating up ice and he's leaving uh, Christian Foline in his dust. And no disrespect to Christian Foline, who's, you know, a serviceable third-pairing defenseman who can go in and out of the lineup. But that's just indicative of the fact that speed was is is surely lacking from this team and I get it Victor Mete wasn't in the lineup as well and there's a whole other conversation to be had about having size but you look at some of these goals that the Canes have allowed it's it's just a matter of of older not older but just guys who aren't necessarily quick uh who get beat a lot of Shea Weber at least tried to make himself a little bit mobile but there's been times where he's been beaten around as well even though you know he could still be that imposing player I still think Going forward, it's all about getting uh, more mobile defensemen. And, and guys with size, even if they're bigger, they understand that they have to make themselves uh, quicker and more agile in today's game. So I think the Canadians kind of need to, to to do that as well. And I think they just need to, on, with regards to their penalty kill, it's a matter of just tightening up a little bit more on their defensive coverage. There was one instance, I don't think the Devils scored on this particular power play, but the Devils had Wayne Simmons, and again, he's a tough player to deal with in any sense, but they had Wayne Simmons kind of untouched in front of Charlie Lindgren. If the Devils get a clear shot on net, he can just tip the puck in and, and just score. And I, I mean, I get it, you, the way you have the box set, you're trying to block passing lanes as well. But I think when it comes time to deal with guys in front of your net, you got to be tight on that as well. If if the if if they scored on the exact instance I was thinking of, we'd be looking at that play and saying, "Hey, Wayne Simmons is left untouched at the top of the crease in front of Charlie Lindgren." I think the Canadians could still tighten up uh, with their defensive coverage. I know Claude Julien at different points has tried to stress that with this team at different points in the year. I think he he has the right idea with what he's trying to get the players to do. It's just a matter. Of execution, but after a while, if the guys aren't executing, then maybe a different voice is needed. And I've had kind of an observation a little bit more generalized over the course of the season. Like you said, they do have to be more mobile. And it seems to me that there's a couple of things. Like you said, they're boxing in. It seems like they, they aren't able to be inventive. Like, so they aren't, the best way I would describe it is a lot of the times, especially on the penalty kill, but in defense in general, they don't know where they should be. And that it looks like sometimes it looks like they don't know how to play hockey. Like they've forgotten, you know, like somebody unplugged the controller or something because it just seems like if things don't go the way they practiced, they're kind of at a loss. And obviously I have no idea if that's specifically what's going on, but it just, they, they look baffled a lot of the times they can't stay ahead of the play 
which is very dangerous. And so often, like we, we, we have the debate as to whether it's personnel or whether it's coaching staff and strategy. And I think it's a little bit of both. Like you said, they need some faster guys, but they also need to be thinking outside the box, like literally outside the box, like you were saying, you know? So I don't know if you would agree with that, but over the course of the season, like I've noticed so many instances where I've written down on the note, like on my notes, Oh, again, they don't know where to be. Yeah, I, I, I think, uh, I don't think you're, you're wrong in that assessment. And I think, uh, as I was kind of alluding to before, I think in certain instances with regards to having players execute better, I think that, uh, a change is, is needed in some department. Obviously you, you're going to need new players to kind of, you know, shore up the defense. But I also think in terms of coaching, you may need to make a change there. And if it's, not necessarily Claude Julien. I don't necessarily think he is the right guy to kind of move out. One guy who has been suggested, I think, a lot between myself, uh, Scott Matla, I'm sure, has mentioned him a lot as well, is Luke Richardson. Uh, I think the defense could stand to see someone else new come in and, and coach them. I, I, I don't think they've necessarily been at their best this year, and I don't feel as if Luke Richardson has got them to that point where they should be. Uh, it's a bit of a weird combination of, of both. You need better players to kind of suit, you need better players on the blue line. You also just need a slightly better coach, I feel. Uh, so I, I just think that if the biggest thing the Canadians really need to, to look at for next year, because I think they'll find a way to make it work with forwards and they can always say, oh, Jonathan Drew was injured, but I really think they need to act on the defense. If we looked at the beginning of this year and a lot of people said, hey, the defense is still their weakest point. They didn't really, you know, deal with it as well as they should have. And lo and behold, one of the biggest reasons why the Canadians are in the position they're in right now is because they're not good defensively. I think the thing that makes the most sense in that situation is injecting like a left defenseman, but there aren't that many available on the market that, that are feasible, I think is, is another issue. You know, we can dream all about like Zach Wierenski or whatever, but I feel like a lot of like the biggest problem is the availability because it's so hard to find somebody that you can play there. And I'm not sure if other teams would be willing to give them up, uh, you know, unless unless the Canadians are going to give up something huge. And that that to me is a massive problem. But I will ask you this, because it seems to be the Canadians philosophy is like building from the draft. Do you think that there is anybody in Laval? Because I know you and Scott cover them a lot more closely than I than I have. Like, is there anybody that even could make the jump that would be able that that they would be able to slot right in? Like, I, I feel like the quality of defensemen that we're looking for, I don't think is available yet. No, and it, you're absolutely right on that. Yeah, they're not close at all. I think the defensemen that are in Laval right now, whether they're on the left side or on the right side, uh, they are still very much works in in progress. Uh, a guy. Like, uh, Josh Brooke, I mean, he plays on the right side, he plays alongside with Carl Alsner at different points as well. He's shown throughout the HL season, still a work in progress. Uh, Otto Leskinen got to play a couple games this year and, you know, he, he did his best, but he's, he's a guy who's not necessarily ready for the spotlight. Uh, Augustus Olofsson is another guy who's gotten to play a little bit as well and still not ready. One guy who I'd like to see you know, play a little bit, but that's a guy who's still just working his way back from injury. And this is a guy who's kind of had a bit of an unlucky year in the fact that I think around the time when the team really could have used him, he got injured. 
uh, Xavier Wallet, who has played games in the National Hockey League, not a prospect by any means, but that's one of the guys you kind of have there for depth. And yeah, he's the captain of the, of the Laval Rocket, and maybe the team is going to think, you know what, considering how the uh, how, considering how things are going for right now in the AHL, maybe it's better to keep him down in the minors. But I think that's a guy who. If things went a little differently this year, he probably would have gotten a look to play. But I don't even think he's necessarily a long-term solution at that position. Uh, I think at this point, and even Alexander Radulov, like, uh, sorry, not Radulov, Romanov, excuse me. I think with Alexander Romanov, you got to remember, this is still a very young kid who, if he makes the jump from Russia to Montreal, you know, he, I don't see him being that impact player right away. I, I see him trying to transition to the, the North American game, uh, not just physically, but also just from an emotional standpoint. He comes across as a really emotional player. And I feel as if like maybe, and I think while it could be a good thing, I think like he still has a bit of maturity to, to kind of get to. I think there's still he still would be a work in progress, and I think he'd probably start the year in the American Hockey League or something. But that's something I, – I, the biggest thing I just want to say with Romanov is people may see him as, like, this savior who can save him on the left-hand side. You should temper your expectations a little bit if you're, if you're thinking that. I don't know. I, I think at this point you either have to look at your prospects and see which of them would be good for a trade for one that might not necessarily be available out there, Maybe you, you kind of just call up a GM and you say, hey, is this guy available? We could give you a prospect. Now, at this point, Mark Bergevin, with all of the draft picks that he's accumulated over the last few years, at some point, like, you got to realize you can't have all these draft picks. Not all these draft picks are going to come up and play pro. Not all of them are going to be going beyond the AHL or whatever. Like, you have to, you know, use some of them as bargaining chips to get something. Right. Like imagine going to a fair and you play all the carnival games and you accumulate all the tickets you can get. And you could be that guy that's like, hey, I got all these tickets from playing, you know, the little uh, I don't I haven't been to a carnival in a long time. I can't even identify all the carnival games you could play. <laughs> but like you imagine you're that guy who has like all those tickets and everyone's like, yeah, so what are you going to do with it? It's like, oh, well, you know, I don't want to sacrifice all my futures and all that. You went, I don't know. At some point, you gotta cash some of these lottery tickets, man. You gotta cash some of these carnival tickets. You gotta get the big bear that's like sitting up at the little stand that costs like three or four of your tickets. <laughs> like you can't keep accumulating these things and not do anything with them and just kind of stay in no man's land. He he's, he does that with the cap space as well, and it's it's been a big source of frustration, obviously, for Canadians fans in general. Why don't they? Why don't they spend to the cap? Why don't they, you know, they've got so much space. They don't even need to spend all the way to the cap. They just need to get close to it. And it's very understandable. I kind of, I see sort of the Mark Bergevin point of view where like he is, he he keeps saying he doesn't want to handcuff the team in the future for a short term move. But at the same time, at some point you have to, you have to, roll the dice it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to handcuff the future if you shell out a little bit more money for a star player it doesn't mean you're handcuffing the future if you trade away some picks or prospects any team runs the risk of that especially if it's a pick or a prospect you don't really know how far they're going to go in the nhl you you kind of have a prediction based on scouting and drafting and, and development 
But you never know. You could trade away the guy that becomes the number one goaltender for another team and becomes like, you know, the top goaltender in the world for, I don't know, 10 years. You could trade away the guy that becomes like, I don't know, like Victor Hedman good. You know, you never know. It's always kind of like a crapshoot, especially when you're dealing with younger players or draft or draft picks. Like it's people that you don't even know who they are yet. So I think that that's like, I get the conservative sort of mentality, but at the same time, you're not going to get anywhere with that. You need to make sacrifices and take a chance. If it's a bust, it's a bust. You're a GM. You can't expect that your career is going to go on that much longer, especially or at least your tenure with one team is going to go on with that that much longer. Like you can find another job. But at the end of the day, like coaches are hard to be fired and sports GMs are hard to be fired. And you might as well do it. Like, you know, roll the dice. Maybe you'll get all the glory. Maybe you'll win a Stanley Cup before you get fired. Who knows? I don't know. I just, I just feel like at, at some point, if you realize you are going to have to, you know, have Weber and, and Price with you, and I feel like, you know, Bergerman might not even really want to deal with those two, considering what they mean to this organization. You have to put them in the best position to win. And in order to do that, you have to give up to get. There's no, there's no way around that. You're not going to get, you're not going to get an elite player for nothing. You're not going to be able to sign a free agent, especially in Montreal, which, you know, the jury's kind of like, there's always debate as to whether or not players want to play here or not. And there's taxes and it's like the fans are too intense or the weather's too cold or whatever. But at the end of the day, if you bring a Stanley Cup to Montreal, like that's the kind of thing that, you know, players, players do have egos. They do have motivations like that. And, and I think that, you know, you have to pay a little bit more money to make up for the taxes or whatever. Do it. Pay a little bit more money. You know, it, I, I, to me, it seems like it seems like people expect, especially when they say we want to build through the draft and they say that, OK, players might not want to come here or those things, those gambles are not successful. Well, are you trying in order to? Because I don't see a lot of trying. I mean, even we talked a lot about the um, the offer sheet. Over the summer and today, Craig Custins mm-hmm. did, um, had, had that article about where he pulled NHL um, player agents and they were talking about, you know, like, do they expect offer sheets? And one of them said Montreal ruined it for everybody because they, they didn't try hard enough. And at the same time, like Mark Bergevin talked about why he didn't, but why not? I mean, you need that elite talent. You are going to lose the draft picks, but you have so many more in the cupboard anyway. It's fine. Just Just lose them. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. At least you you shot for the moon, you know? Yeah, but, I mean, you can't say you're going to shoot for the moon and then get in the rocket ship and be like, we're shooting for the moon, and then be all like, all right, we're just going to go a couple miles just before the stratosphere, and they'd be like, all right, guys, we're turning around. We don't need to do it. If you're going to shoot, you got to shoot. And I think just with the way this fan base has been starving for a winner for the last Better for as long as I've been alive, essentially. Um, at some point, you have to shoot. At some point, you have to say, "All right, I've gotten all these pieces in place. We can make a move. Just make something big happen." I don't think I get people. You know, Mark Bergevin kind of bought himself some time with some of the young players he's been able to put through the system. But again, with the guys you have on your team, the Price, the Weber, the Gallagher's, even that have been there. Have been fighting. They want to be put in a position where they want to succeed. And if you are going to be committing to those guys, you have to 
put them in the best position. And that means you have to make a move. You have to just risk it. And I feel as if Mark Bergman hasn't done that enough. I get it. Or maybe after the whole Weber Subban thing, maybe he got a little gunshot. Maybe I'm totally wrong on that. But it's very clear that the moves that he's done, while they've been very good, and they haven't necessarily handcapped the team in the future, how many home run moves has he made as a general manager? He's made a lot of good like good moves, like good moves that are like, all right, these are solved, these are good, whatever, but it hasn't necessarily got them playoff success. How many moves has Mark Richmond done that ensure that, okay, you know what, the team is put in a position where they will have playoff success off this move? He's got to start doing those. And that's the thing, because you talked about he's made some really good moves, and it's true, this team is so good at manufacturing and constructing bottom sixes. But bottom sixes, like, and, and people talk about, oh, you need a good bottom six if you want to win in the playoffs. Well, like, you need to make the playoffs in order to win. And good bottom sixes, they do not get you into the playoffs. They will help you defensively. They'll help you over the course of a seven-game season. But that depth isn't going to get you in. And we've, we've seen time and time again this year, the Canadians have lost one-goal games. They have not been able to break through like other teams' defensive systems because they don't have a game breaker. Or like, you know, the one guy that they have that could be a game breaker is injured. Or they've got good playmakers and no finish. You know, there, there's like over the course of the season, it's kind of, it's changed. But at the end of the day, the two things that are really obvious is that they do not have the elite talent up front over the course of an 82 game season and they need an upgrade on defense. They also, they, they need their goaltending to be a little bit more consistent, but that's kind of another story. I feel like, you know, the, the Canadians need to upgrade and backup, but they also need to play the backup as opposed to playing Carey Price night in and night out, unless he has the flu. <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, like there's a lot of moves to be made and you, you kind of, at, at, at some point you have to pull the trigger and make them. That's, that's pretty much it. I just want to just amend something you were saying. With with a team, you need everyone to kind of step up. You you need your bottom sixes to be good. I mean, we just watched a game tonight where we saw goals from from Christian Foline, Nick Cousins, Nate Thompson, uh, Yoel Armia. Uh, all four of those guys are are bottom six, bottom pairing guys. And I mean, I'm not saying teams need to rely on them to 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 perform, but there are going to be nights where your top guys can't necessarily do the job. So you need your bottom players to do it. The only thing is the Canadians just need that perfect balance of, you know, finishers up front to go with those bottom players who are going to do well. I think they have like a solid scoring by committee in place. They just need more younger Ilya Kovalchuk's to kind of get the job done in school. <laughs> so I think just, just to kind of amend what you were saying a little bit, I feel as if you, that's not to to kind of take bottom sixes out of the equation here. They need to be there. They need to be solid. You just need your top six to be solid and reliable as well. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And that's and and that's the thing. Like the Canadians are just so good at that that aspect. But it's just it's not like there's so many components to winning. You know what I mean? And and I I'll be the first to say that especially this year and I would say last year as well. Like the bottom six, they're so good at like what they're supposed to do. It's just that around that is is where the problem usually lies and so at some point they're gonna have to make a change but we are running out of time and i'm so sad because i had so many other things to ask you about. oh man i know right time flies yeah my bad sorry if i like ran, i ran out sorry Oh, no, not at all. I think I think one of the things is that because we are a daily show and we, we're supposed to keep it short, 
we kind of have to like stick to like, um, you know, very specific topics, but the Canadians are, and the fan base, we're kind of at a junction right now where it's like, we're frustrated with the lack of results. We're looking towards the future. We want to know what next. And there's so many different things that could be, you know, that could be the possible solution that we kind of have to go through all of them. But it's been a really enjoyable conversation, honestly, like time flew. Like I, yeah. I, I, I truly, you know, didn't realize how quickly the time went. And you know what? We're just going to have to have you back on. And maybe this time right. we can like have both me and Scott and we can just like grill you on your thoughts. All right, man. Just uh, let me know. Yeah. So I want to thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I, it was a, it's an honor to fill in for uh, the great Scott Matla. Who is going to be back tomorrow and we will have Allison Lucan with us. So when you're listening to this episode, if you have any analytics questions that come to mind or really any questions about the Columbus Blue Jackets or awesomeness, please send them our way. You can tweet them at us at LO underscore Canadians. You can email them to us at LockedOnCanadians at gmail.com. If you would like to follow Julian on Twitter, he can be found at JKA McKenzie, right? Right? Mm-hmm. I was so focused on trying to get that right (laughs) that I like ran through my sentence way too fast. And if you want to follow me, I am at the active stick. You can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. And I want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you tomorrow.